0: Gracious Father, thank you for your great love for each of us. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your unending grace. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior, that his death and resurrection gives us hope and peace. I thank you, Father, that you've invited all of us to step out and walk on the water with you. Help us to keep our eyes on you so that fear of the waves doesn't overwhelm us. I pray, as we seek you in your word this morning, that we would continue in a heart of worship, that we would continue in a desire to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So after Jesus rebuked the hypocrisy and childish immaturity of the religious leaders, one of them invites him to dinner, Uh, a Pharisee. Named Simon. Now, I am not sure what Simon was hoping to accomplish, but I seriously doubt, based on the evidence we have in Scripture thus far and all of the Gospels put together, that any of the Pharisees really had proper motivation. Uh, the only one we've seen at this point, uh, which is really up in the book of John, is Nicodemus. Uh, So I'm not thinking Simon invited him over because he really wanted to learn or really wanted to talk or really wanted to explore the truths that Jesus was teaching. But during this dinner, an amazing act of worship takes place and Jesus teaches the Pharisee and us about love, forgiveness and salvation. Uh, I have labeled each of the, I don't know why, this is what happens when I sit alone in my office, Um, I labeled each of the sections uh, as though we were following through a dinner. So, you know, uh, number one, it's dinner time. Number two is dessert. Number three is check, please. And then number four, or the conclusion, is the after dinner mint. So please forgive me for that, but I I just couldn't help it. Um, Let's read the word. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat and behold a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Now, just a brief, I think we need to send this parable, like, to your credit card company. (laughs) I don't know if it'll work, but you could try. it. Verse 43, Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So go back to verse 36. So this Pharisee Simon asks Jesus to dinner. And when he sat down to eat, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he spoke to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So when a banquet banquet when a banquet like this was held it was often accessible to the public think of a you know an open space they didn't necessarily have a dining room that was enclosed they would often have outdoor eating spaces because well it got warm in israel it still does and uh, back then you know this is somewhere around 31 32 ad there was no air conditioning so they would often have open air eating spaces and when people like Pharisees or the quote-unquote important people, could you see the quoting marks there? Right, You got the picture. Um, would sit down and have a meal together. They would often make it accessible, right? The other people couldn't eat with them. But they could listen in on the conversation. And this is how the woman had access to Jesus. Now, a Pharisee would never speak to a woman in public, nor... Would she be invited to participate in such a banquet? But she was not there to eat. She was there to worship and repent. All the scripture tells us here is that she's a sinner. So what was her sin? We can only guess. But because of Simon's response and because of the alabaster flask of fragrant oil we can make an assumption that she was a prostitute and you may ask well how did Simon know she was a prostitute that's a good question probably the alabaster flask right let's not give Simon too hard of a time he's got other issues Uh, but the alabaster flask of fragrant oil it was a type of perfume that prostitutes would wear and that's how you knew they were prostitutes Right? They didn't walk around with a scarlet letter on their, their robe. You would walk by a woman in the street. Usually her hair was down, as opposed to being pulled up. That was another clue. And you would walk by and you would get a whiff of a very specific perfume. And that was her advertisement. Now, how much sin is required to be a sinner? I thought that would be a fun question to address for a moment. She was a prostitute. Well, clearly she's awful, right? But I'm not a prostitute. Right? Am I that bad? Probably worse. But the reality is just one sin. That's all it takes. James tells us in in chapter 2, verse 10, that if we fail to keep any part of the law, we have failed to keep the whole law. So think about that. Well, I'm not a murderer. Great. Well, I'm I'm not a thief, okay. Have you ever wanted something that wasn't yours? Congratulations, you're guilty of the whole law. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you failed to honor God in some way? Congratulations, you're guilty of the whole law. Romans three twenty three reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So whatever her sin was is really irrelevant. She was a sinner, and newsflash, so are we. Now, her action. Something we have to think about, and I want you to get a picture, and I'm not going to demonstrate it, but the way they sat down to dinner is very different than the way we sit down to dinner. Right? If you're out at a restaurant, you sit down at a table or a booth, and they bring you your, your, your beverage, and they, you know, the plates get set before you. That is not how they ate dinner back then. The table would be low and it would be long and everybody would sit around the table based on the prominence of their, their um, station. I like it. And what they would do is if they were right-handed, they would actually lean on a pillow on their left arm and eat with their right hand. And it was family style. There'd be bread in the middle and you take a hunk of bread and you dip it in this, that, and the other thing. And that's how you ate. So when it says she came up behind him, the way he was laying, his his feet would have been behind him. Does that make sense? Do I have to lay down and show you? Good. Um, Did somebody say yes? (laughs) Thanks, Linda. Um, But she washed them with her tears, dried them with her hair, and anointed them with this fragrant oil. And just to make this picture a little more yeah, vivid is a good word. This was the, the perfume of a prostitute. Would have been expensive, but Jesus didn't care if he smelled like the prostitute. He didn't care. Now this is an act of contrition, of repentance, recognition of her own sin as she worships God and is seeking forgiveness. We read in Psalm, 150, or Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17 this morning, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. God does not want our religiosity. He does not want us to go through the motions thinking that will make things okay if you're here this morning and i'm glad you are and you have some unrepentant sin in your life being here doesn't make up for it nothing you do will because what he wants is he wants our heart and when we come to him honestly which is where a broken and contrite heart comes in the word contrite means repentant or remorseful he promises us that when we come to him in that way, he will never turn us away. I'm reading a book for the second time called Spiritual Discipline by uh, Henry Nowen. And if you've never heard of Henry Nowen, you need to hear of Henry Nowen. If you've never read any of his books, you need to read some of his books. Keep in mind, he was a Catholic priest. He has he uh, since gone on to glory. And so when you read his writings, just keep that in mind. He was a, he was a Catholic priest. Um, and so some of his stuff is, well, a little more Catholic than I would be. But there's plenty of brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church who are going to heaven because they believe in Jesus. Oh no, did I really say that out loud? I did. But one of the things he talked about is the, in this book, Spiritual Discipline, is just the, the absolute foolishness of trying to think we can hide something from God you ever tried to do that you ever go to God in prayer and just tell him how great everything is if it's not great he already knows have you ever gone to God and tried to downplay your sin am I the only one well you Lord Lord I know I know I did that but but let me explain Really, officer, I know I was speeding, but I'm running late. And, you know, people are going to die if I don't get there on time. We do that. What's the point of doing it with God? You want to try to do it with one another. I mean, it's not right, but go for it. Um, But you can't do that with God. He already knows. Just like he already knows the needs that we have before we ask him. In in, uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us that. He already knows what you've done wrong. There are times he knows what we've done wrong before we've even figured out that what we've done was what we done. That what we've done was wrong. He already knows. So why try to hide it? Instead, come to him with a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, knowing that he will never turn you away. Pharisees will Pharisee. Yes, I turn to Pharisee into a verb. Simon says to himself, this guy can't be a prophet, or he would know who this woman is and what kind of woman she is. Jesus is going to respond to that in a moment. But here's the deal. He already knows who you and I are. He already knows what each and every one of our sins are, what they have been and what they will be in that knowledge he loves us anyway romans 5 8 reminds us god shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners christ died for us i had a gentleman come into my office once and he was insistent that i watch this video i've told this story before but there's a lot of you who weren't here the last time i told it. and he came into my office and he said "I, i need you to watch this video okay and uh, at the time he attended the church, he doesn't anymore. Praise God. Yeah, I said it. Sometimes God allows blessed subtractions. This person was very, very divisive and was causing a lot of problems, and it didn't break my heart when he left. Clearly, it's nobody who's here right now. And don't start going through your mind trying to think who it was. I'm not going to tell you. Don't so emotional. What's that? Don't be so emotional? Be so emotional. Never and he, well, he wanted me to watch his video I said okay I'll, I'll watch the video so he pulled it up on his phone and, and this I don't know if it was a pastor it was some internet person that was uh, pretending to teach the word of God and th- this whole message and, and I only watched a clip of it but the whole message was about how God does not love everybody how God only loves believers and I said, really? Yeah. And, and this guy said, this, this, is, this is spot on. And I said, well, if God doesn't love any, everybody, why does he tell us to go out and share the gospel with them? If he doesn't love them, he wouldn't care where they went. If God doesn't love anybody, why does Romans 5, 8 say that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? He demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. He loved us before we were conceived. He loved us while we were being knit together in our mother's womb. He loved us when we were at the depths of our sin. He loves us now, and he will love us forever. Even those who reject the gospel, he loves. It breaks his heart, and he is not going to violate his justice So they will suffer an eternity apart from him. doesn't change his love. Dessert, verse 40. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When he had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both tell me therefore which of them will love him more and Simon answered and said I suppose the one whom he forgave more I say it a lot I would really love it if we could get tone of voice in scripture Simon I have something to say to you fine tells the parable which one will love him more well I guess it's the one who was forgiven more You have rightly judged. Verse 44, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, I have always loved that sentence. Every time I've read it for as long as I've been a Christian, I have always loved that sentence because he looked at her. She wasn't ignored. She wasn't a number on a page. She was a precious human being that he loved in that very moment. Well, he still loves her. I imagine we're going to get to meet her one day. But he turned to the woman, said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven... The same loves little. Now, Jesus is compassionate here, even toward Simon. Because he is trying to show him the reality of repentance and forgiveness. He didn't have to do that. He could have just written Simon off and gone, fine, I'm done with you, you religious hypocrite. I'm going to take care of the woman we're leaving or whatever. Right? No, he didn't do that. He takes the time to teach him a parable and he gives him a truthful rebuke. He doesn't yell at him. Right? Doesn't berate him. He tries to teach him. And I want you to take note that Jesus clearly knew Simon's thoughts. And just a little bit ago, Simon said, well, if he was really a prophet, clearly Jesus is a prophet. a Supernatural prophet and much more than that. I have something to say, and he begins by teaching this parable of two debtors. And Simon makes the right call that one who is fr- the one who is freed of more debt will love the master more. And then Jesus applies the parable. It was very customary in that time, when you invited someone over to your home to eat, that you would provide a way for them to wash their feet. Usually the lowest servant in the house would do this. Jesus did it for his disciples in John chapter 13. It was also customary to greet your guest with a kiss, typically on the cheek. This is a a tradition that I don't know why we've let go of. Just be careful when you say hi to (laughs) me. It was also customary to offer your guest some kind of fragrant oil or perfume because they didn't shower regularly. That just wasn't a thing. Over the past week, this story has nothing to do with it, but I have to share. Um, our water heater went out on Monday morning. Yeah. And if, if Gunnison water is not naturally warm. And so for four days, we took ice cold showers. They was quick. I don't think we were as clean as we could have been. We were applying a lot of today's fragrant oil to not offend the people around us. Yeah, our, hot, our new hot water heater went in on Friday and we all took nice long showers on Friday evening. But Simon hadn't done any of this for Jesus, which really was a cultural faux pas. But the woman had done all of it as an act of worship and repentance. And I just, I want to kind of suss this out just a little bit more. Think about what she did. We talked earlier about how a prostitute would often wear their hair down. She used her hair, which was really a symbol of her sin, to wipe his feet. Fragrant oil was often the perfume that they would wear to indicate to those around them what their job was, you know, the oldest profession in the world, stone masonry comes from a great show called monk Um, but he used that she used that perfume and so this is not just an act of repentance but it's an act of letting go it's an act of taking that which symbolized her sin and letting go of it at the feet of jesus oh it's gorgeous it's just gorgeous And Jesus then declares that her many sins were forgiven because she loved much. And he points out that those who are forgiven little, really those who have not experienced the full forgiveness of God in Christ, will love little. Now, there are some, and I've heard this happen, who will wrongly interpret this parable to mean that Jesus is teaching us that in order to be saved, we have to love God. And that's not the case. Nowhere in scripture does it teach that's not what Jesus is teaching us here because that would make our salvation a work. And that would mean that our salvation relies on us. When we go back and looked at the parable, what happened first? He, the master, right? Loved the servants first. The master forgave the servants first first their response was to love it's no different for us 1 john 4:19 reminds us that we love him because he first loved us loving much did not lead to her forgiveness and salvation her forgiveness and salvation led to her loving much it's gorgeous Check, please. Verse 48. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There are three statements of love and one demonstration of hypocrisy in these last three verses. Throughout chapter 8, we have seen a multitude of miracles. Why did I say chapter 8? We're in chapter 7. Throughout, recently, we've seen a multitude of miracles in the book of Luke. Jesus healed the centurion servant. He raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead. He put on a display of the miraculous for John's disciples. But here, we have the greatest miracle of all. Here we see a broken sinner saved by faith in the only Son of God. And I love that we serve a God who can do miracles. I love that he has privileged me in the 26 years I've been a Christian to witness a few. Not a lot, but a few. And the ones I've witnessed, I hold them very dear to me because it was always a demonstration of God's ability and power grace and even though it's cool to see the dead raised I haven't Amy shared with me a story last week about somebody who had Um, I haven't I think it'd be pretty cool but what I have seen is someone who is spiritually dead raised to new life in Christ and that is still the greatest miracle God does Still is. He says, your sins are forgiven. The meaning of the word forgiven here is that her sins have been sent away. They are gone. Psalm 103, 11 and 12 states, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. And you've probably heard it said before, but it's always worth reminding, how far east can you go before it stops being east? You can't. If you had some sort of vehicle that could circumvent the globe with never being refueled, it could head east forever. Never have to stop. Guess what? If you go west, the same thing happens so when you have our sins as far as the east is from the west so has he removed them from us it means there is no limit to his forgiveness there's no limit to the expanse that he has cast our sins away from us and then micah 7 18 and 19 micah is a book that i don't think gets enough attention um That's your homework this week. Go home and read the book of Micah. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Now, what the deepest point on earth is, It's the Laurentian Trench, right? Anybody? Well, we'll Google it after church. Um, But I can't remember how many miles deep it is. But it, it literally gets to the point that it is so deep, there is a complete absence of all light. The sun can't get that far. Now, God is light. Right? I just, this is incredible. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So what does he do? He puts our sins in a place where light doesn't go. That is the incredibleness of forgiveness. And why? Because he doesn't retain his anger. Because he delights in steadfast love. Because he has compassion on us. And the first part in verse 18 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression he is the only one who does it there's only one true God but there's a lot of people who want to worship something else and if you followed the teachings of Islam you have to do in order to be saved right if you follow the teachings even of modern day Judaism you have to do in order to be saved. If you're Buddhist, you have to do, so you come back better than you did this time, or Hindu, Hindu does that. Does Buddhism do reincarnation? That's Hinduism. Um, Whatever. (laughs) But every world religion is the same. You have to do, and hopefully you do well enough that you'll get there. Christianity is the only one that's different because it's not about what we do it's about what he's done and what he has done is to tread our iniquities underfoot and cast our sins into the depths of the sea so how do we access it jesus says to her your faith has saved you we cannot save ourselves only god can and this is how he does it Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He tells her your faith has saved you. Not your works. He doesn't say, you washed my feet, you you poured the oil on my feet. That is what saved you. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. And the only peace we will ever have can only come from our gracious God and Savior Colossians 1 19 through 20 for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross we live in a world that is devoid of peace I'm not even talking about wars between countries. I'm just saying we live in a world that is devoid of peace. People don't have peace because they're looking for it everywhere that it cannot be found. And there's only one place to find it. He made peace by the blood of his cross. And if you want peace, you have to come to the cross. But right in the middle, of these three beautiful statements, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, and go in peace. There's a demonstration of hypocrisy. Who is this who can even forgive sins? And we saw a similar question asked when Jesus forgave and healed the paralytic in Luke 5.21. Why do I call this hypocrisy? Because as the religious leaders of the day, shouldn't they be rejoicing in the repentance of a woman who was clearly a sinner and a repentance of this woman that led to her forgiveness and salvation. Shouldn't she be, they they should be happy about that. Wow. You know, prostitute, whatever her name is, got saved. We should be happy about this. I've told you before about a ministry we support called, um, not we as a church, but our family, Hookers for Jesus. And if you've never heard of them, you need to look it up. Uh, the woman who, who oversees it, her name is Annie Lobart. She was sex trafficked into prostitution. She found uh, God gave her a way out of that. She got saved. She got clean. She got healthy. And now she helps other women. It's an incredible ministry. And there are people who get mad about it. Dead serious. I've heard people complain about this ministry not not personally internet saying oh well you know she was a hooker and now she's trying to minister to other hookers we don't want those people in our church What the hell is wrong with you yeah we want those people in our church it is pure unadulterated hypocrisy to look at someone who's a sin who is in sin and not be happy about them coming to church not be happy about them coming to Christ. I don't care what their sin is. I don't care what your sin is. I know what my sin is, and he accepted me. But this type of religious hypocrisy is alive and well in the church today. Oh, we get angry when another church succeeds at something where we failed. I say we as a general statement. Or we get angry, right? Maybe somebody came to our church and got saved and now they're going somewhere else. That's happened several times over the last couple of years. I'm not angry. I'm glad they got saved. I hope where they're going is a Bible-believing church where they can grow in their faith. But if they don't come here, okay. You met Jesus here. That's all I care about. Or maybe that someone from a different denomination has a good idea for reaching the lost. Or that someone from a different political persuasion or a different background could or would come to Christ. I've actually heard people say, well, they don't deserve to get saved. No, duh. Neither do you. Neither do I. And if you ever come to a moment where you think you did deserve it, oh, you're in trouble. Start repenting immediately. I don't care what your background is. I don't care who you voted for. I don't care what movies you do or do not like or what sports you do or do not play. I don't care what color your hair is, what color your skin is. I don't care if you're tall or short or fat or skinny. I don't care if you're blind and deaf or blind or deaf. I don't care if you're missing a limb or missing something else. I don't care and neither does he. He wants you to know Jesus is your Savior. And you are welcome to come to him. And you are welcome to come here. And if somebody doesn't like that, that door swings both ways. Simon and the others at this meal fail to look inward. They fail to come to a place of self-awareness and repentance. And instead, they choose to live in a place of being hard-hearted and blind to their own condition don't do that our after dinner mint. if you would follow me real quick up to Luke chapter 18 at the rate we're moving through look Luke Luke by the time we get to Luke chapter 18 you will completely have forgotten that we did it today but in Luke chapter 18 starting in verse 9 we read this Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Jerk. The tax collector, standing afar off, he wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That, my dear brothers and sisters, is religious hypocrisy. I don't ever look. Okay, I really try not to look at anybody else. And ever think that I'm better than them. Because of where they are. Because of what they look like. Because of what sin they may be involved in. Because of who they voted for. Because they really like Taco Bell. And right, my my other daughter's not in here. She loves Taco Bell. I'm like, how? How do you love Taco Bell? It tastes good. But better have a good book to read afterwards. I'm just saying, that's not what God has called us to. When Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee and tax collector, we see the same dichotomy there that we see in this passage. One self-righteous religious hypocrite refusing to acknowledge their own sinful condition before God and one sinner who knows they are a sinner and asks for God's mercy. It's the issue of two sinners and one Savior. One sinner approached the Savior with repentance, worship, and contrition, while the other sinner sat in his presence with hypocrisy, pride, and religious self-assurance. One of them left forgiven, saved, and filled with the peace of God. The other did not. So my first question as we close. Do you know you're a sinner? If so, have you come to the only one who can save you? And that's Jesus, with repentance, worship, and contrition. If not, today is the day. If you don't believe you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and maybe that's someone sitting here, I hope not, uh, somebody listening online, somebody who listens to this recording later on, consider what John said in uh, 1 John 1 8 and 10, or 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So anybody who thinks at any point in time, I am not a sinner, you're lying to yourself, and you're calling God a liar. It's a bad idea. and He gives you a way out because when we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness if you need that today you talk to somebody after service you can leave us a comment or send us a message or visit our web song song? (laughs) website newsonggunnison.net number two do you rejoice daily in the great forgiveness you have been given I titled this message, and you know, you probably noticed, those who've been here for a while, I very rarely mention the titles of my message. Every now and then I do. Um, I also usually forget to mention the points as I move on. (laughs) But I titled this message, I love Jesus more than you, for a very specific reason. Because I know what I have been forgiven. I know what sins of mine that he has cast as far as the east is from the west. And I know what sins of mine he has thrown into the depths of the sea. I know how much he loves me. And in return, I love him much. And it's not a competition. Right? We're not going to sit around later and go, I'll tell you the sin I committed that's worse than yours. It's not a fun game. But we should all rejoice daily in what God has forgiven us. And our spirit, response should be wholehearted devotion to him making jesus the first priority in our lives number three oh and this one's not going to be any fun do you struggle with being a religious hypocrite now don't say no too quickly because i think there are times we all do And maybe we don't do it on purpose. Maybe we're not quite like a Pharisee. Uh, I spent time as a Pharisee. It was awful. But when we're honest with ourselves, I think we can all improve in this area. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5, this is what we'll close with. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk Jesus compassion give way to righteous anger is when he is dealing with the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. You can go back and you can read all four gospels you'll see it. Especially when you're paying attention to it. He does not get mad at the woman caught in adultery. He doesn't get angry when Peter starts sinking when he walks out on the water. He doesn't get mad When Jairus sends people out and says, my my little daughter is going to die. Can you come do something? When does he get mad? So along with reading the book of Micah, go read Matthew chapter 23. Beware you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. The only time we see his anger is at religious hypocrisy making a whip of cords and flipping over tables and driving the money changers out of the temple. It's the only time we see it. He had no time for that. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. And neither should you. The cure for it is right here in 1 Peter. Desire God's pure word. The more you read the Bible, the harder it is to be a religious hypocrite. Uh. Partake of the Lord's goodness. Once you realize what you have been saved from, it's a lot harder to be a hypocrite. Grow in your salvation. And we do that through spiritual disciplines reading the Bible, prayer, fasting, worship, service, meditation on the Word. And then by His grace and power, we become more like Jesus and we offer spiritual sacrifices. To God through him. I'm thankful that we don't have to offer animals anymore. Um, While I'm really not, you know, like averse to blood. It doesn't make me faint or anything. I am a clean freak. And I would have a serious problem if we had to sacrifice an animal in this building. I'd be like, no, it'll get on the carpet. But we offer spiritual sacrifices. And every time we give of ourselves to him. Whatever that looks like whether it's worship or service or doing something kind for our neighbor, that honors him. And that's what we should strive for. Every aspect in our lives to honor him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have had mercy on me, a sinner. And I say as I pray this for my brothers and sisters here who are listening, Thank you that you've had mercy on all of us. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see clearly. Not so that we can identify our faults and walk around thinking what horrible people we are. We already know that. But so that we can see clearly what you have done to save us from it. So that we can rejoice in it. And so that your love would be our motivation to share it with others all for your glory in Jesus name Amen